Hello and welcome to Conversations in Clean Tech, the podcast that celebrates the clean tech industry and the people that power it, brought to you by Brightsmith. I'm your host, Jenny Gladman, and across the podcast, I'll be interviewing leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world to explore the opportunities, challenges, and rewards of working in clean tech. From revolutionizing solar panels to overhauling the way we move, in this second season, we'll be exploring the innovations that are sparking sustainable change and fueling a cleaner, greener future, whilst offering some tokens of wisdom to enlighten, engage, and inspire everyone to live their purpose. Today's episode is a first for us. I have a co-host, one of the latest and greatest additions to the Brightsmith team. Marta will be co-hosting today's episode. And who knows, she may be back again. Hi everyone, it is really exciting to be here co-hosting today's episode and in all honesty when Jen told me about today's guest that agreed to be on the show I didn't give her much of a choice. Um, Yeah, it was either yes or yes. (laughs) So on that note let me tell you a little bit about today's guest. She's a music maker, she's a wind turbine dresser and with what I think may be an unrivaled passion for offshore wind Uh, When her university colleague and friend, the lovely Emma Burrow, introduced us, I knew that we needed Juliet's voice on conversations in clean tech. After completing her bachelor's and master's in manufacturing, engineering at the University of Cambridge, Juliet's career has gone from strength to strength. Working with the likes of EDF Energy, Orsted and now Equinor, she's enthusiastic, she's driven, a self-confessed energy geek. And on that note, it's my great pleasure to introduce the wonderful Juliet Sanders and today's episode of Conversations in Clean Tech. Hi, Juliet. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Marta. Thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's really great to be here. Thanks. Wonderful. Today's episode will cover everything from innovation in clean tech to offshore wind and the difference it's making globally to the challenges in the sector, Juliet's incredible career. And finally, we might even find out what Juliet and Will Smith have in common. Aside from a funky outfit or two. So, Juliet, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So, hi, I'm Juliet. So, at the time of recording, um, I am currently uh, Head of Communications for Equinor's Renewable Business in the UK. However, I am moving on to a new role in the new year, so that will be the start of 2022, which will be taking up Director of Strategic Comms at Energy UK. And also, you're easily the biggest fan of wind technology that I know. But where did your particular interest uh, in this technology come from? So with with offshore wind, actually, I kind of fell into it, really. I I had been working in the nuclear industry for some time, um, and then I'd taken a job at what was Dong, uh, Dong Energy, Danish oil and natural gas, not just for the funny name. um, And they they were an oil and gas company, but also making big, big strides in in offshore wind at the time. But I I, I think at that time, really, no one even in industry knew how much the technology was going to um, expand so quickly and largely due to the costs coming down as well. So I joined Dong as it was and but over the time that I was there the company underwent a huge transformation they sold off their oil and gas business they renamed the company to Orsted still and by far became the, the biggest offshore wind developer in the world and so it became everything that I kind of lived and breathed for a long time and and that's how I got into offshore wind. Amazing and now I'm quite intrigued not just about the offshore wind but the fact that you went to university and loved it enough to stay on and do your master's in manufacturing engineering and then you made the switch to comms and I know we talked before about the importance of doing what you love and when you do what you love you're successful but 
how did you go from the the engineering to the comms? It's always a, an interesting story to hear people's transition. Absolutely, and and it, your mantra is something that I, I strongly believe in: is that people should do what they enjoy, and that is definitely how they will be successful. So I was always quite good at maths when I was a kid. Um, so I studied maths, further maths, and physics at college. And my maths teacher, I was going to go on to study maths at uni and she, she sort of said, you, may, you maybe want to do something a bit more applied. It will suit you a bit more, you know, than the pure maths. So I went on to do engineering, which I then found out was maths, basically. So I did, it was more maths for two years. Uh, general engineering was the course that I did. And then in the third year, you had the opportunity to specialise. And that was really the first time that I made the decision to do something that I loved over something that I thought that I should do, because... You know, I, I think there was the, the options for me at that time were between sort of carrying on with a traditional engineering subject, so structural engineering, civil engineering, mechanical, something like that, where I could be chartered, or the university that I went to offered this course, manufacturing engineering, and that was a bit more, you know, widespread. It was about strategy, product design, you know, going into businesses and solving sort of real world problems. But I was a bit worried it was perceived as a bit of a woolly course, you know, because I wouldn't necessarily be able to get chartered. But I took the decision to do that course. And I'm so glad that I did because I really enjoyed it. And, and I ended up doing really well, I think, because I enjoyed it. So then at the end of that, uh, at the end of uni, I joined a grad scheme at EDF Energy. So I was employed as an energy analyst, and um, but you were allowed one kind of wacky placement as part of that. So I did six months with the media team and I absolutely loved it. I didn't even know that companies had media teams and I just, you know, I tried this thing out and I just really enjoyed it. It just really kind of suited my personality. It was really fast paced. You know, I was learning all the time, meeting really great people. You know, I hadn't really written anything probably you know for most of my degree I hadn't you know done any writing so it wasn't necessarily that I was you know actually a really great comms person in terms of the writing but it just the logistical element and always being out and about and I think the fast-pacedness really attracted me and then I went back to do my final couple of placements and I just I felt like I was really out of the loop you know all, the, all these company announcements were coming out and I was like hey what's going on so I was really really lucky that at the end of um at the end of the grad scheme they had a role going in in the comms team in the media team and they took a huge chance on me you know I didn't have any media experience apart from the six months that I'd done with the team and I, and I was very fortunate that they could see that you know it was actually the the passion and the energy that would kind of get me through that and that I could learn on the job and yeah so then I ended up doing three years there uh, looking after Dungeon SB uh, nuclear power station doing the communications there and then my career has been in communications ever since. Amazing and as someone that didn't have that maths teacher and just went and did pure maths at university, I wish I'd done engineering. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't even, to be honest, I should have looked more at what it was because I was quite shocked that when I got there, it was it was hard maths. And I had all my friends that were doing architecture and they were kind of building huts down by the river. And I was like, oh, maybe I should have done that, actually. But, you know, I think it is difficult, you know, not only when you choose when you go to uni, you know, what subject to study and all of that, but then also when you leave uni, and this is why, again, you know, I was talking about grad schemes, but, you know, there are other ways in, but just trying to work out what it is you want to do and you don't even know what those roles are is so difficult. So, um, but I think it's, I think it is important that people don't worry that whatever they study at uni will then have to be what they do for the rest of their life because, you know, I'm an example of, of that being not true. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and even for people that don't go to university and choose to do something totally different, I think we live in a world now where the job for life has gone and, you know, people's careers take weird and wonderful paths. And most of us, as I did and you did, kind of fall into a sector and then fall into a role and 
kind of wait until you find the one that clicks and when it does then that's where you stay for a while and who knows what's in store for us in the future maybe Marta and I will be making a shift into offshore wind (laughs) yeah (laughs) come join we need more women (laughs) well on the note of offshore wind before we get on to the topic of women one of the things that we like to do in this podcast is have it a bit educational so our listeners aren't all in clean tech already and they're certainly not all working in offshore wind so um, we like to see a kind of ground up the 101 so can you give us a bit of an insight into the sector not just what it is but the importance of it and where it fits in in the wider spectrum of the energy transition absolutely how long have you got no i'm joking (laughs) um so Offshore wind, as I said, has grown hugely over the last decade. So our our first offshore wind farm in the UK was in the year 2000. And in that time, we've managed to build about 11 gigawatts of offshore wind power in the UK. So the UK is the world leader in this amazing technology, um, which means that we've got more capacity than any other country. And that's largely due to the geographical elements. You know, we're an island. It's it's one of the windiest places in, in Europe, in the world. Um, but it's also thanks to the way that the government policy has enabled the industry to, to grow. And so industry and government working together, you know, with, with various mechanisms like the contracts for difference, which I won't go into now because <laughs> we probably haven't got enough time. But but by these kind of financial mechanisms, essentially, that provide longer term clarity on what the cost will be in the future, then it enabled these companies to invest in the UK at very, very early stages. And then that in turn has enabled the supply chain, it's enabled uh, much bigger wind farms, and that's brought the cost down hugely. And as of course, as the cost goes down, then it becomes more economical to install. So at the minute, as I said, we've got about 11 gigawatts of offshore wind in the UK. Um, and the government and industry has set a target as part of the sector deal, the offshore wind sector deal that by 2030, we'll aim for 40 gigawatts of offshore wind. So if you just take a minute to think about what that means, you know, it's taken us 20 years (laughs) to get to 10, 11 gigawatts. And we're saying over the next decade, we're going to quadruple that. So it's a huge challenge ahead of us. But I think that we will get there because the technology is absolutely amazing. So when I first joined the industry in 2016, sorry, I'm such an energy geek, as we said at the beginning. So do just stop me if I start talking too much. So yeah, when I when I joined in 2016, I think the biggest sort of turbines on the market were the seven megawatts. And I remember doing an announcement about the eight megawatt machines that were going to go in a Berber bank extension, and they were kind of the cutting edge technology at the time. But now we're seeing, you know, 12, 13, 14 megawatt turbines, and these are huge, you know, so they, they're, they're taller than the Gherkin, the tower. The blades are 107 meters long, so that's like nine and a half buses back to back. You can fit an elephant in the root of the blade, not that you ever would want to or be able to actually get one in. But uh, yeah, and um, but I find the stat that I love telling people because it just it's really easy to, to comprehend. I think, you know, you can talk about gigawatts as much as you like and, you know, 3.6 gigawatt capacity. What well, you know, it doesn't really mean much to a lot of people. But this stat really, I think, hits home to a lot of people that aren't in industry that one rotation of an offshore wind turbine now can power a UK home for over two days. So that's just one spin can power a UK home for over two days. And that is really impressive. And I said, you know, as I said at the beginning, looking back to how that compares, you know, just to 2016. So it's not that long ago. Then it was one rotation could power a UK home for one day. So you can already see this innovation that's that's happening in industry. 
And then there's loads of new and exciting technologies around that as well. You know, there's floating offshore wind. That's a super exciting technology to, to look out for because that means that you can not only access further out to sea. So, for example, there's there's applications where you can decarbonize oil and gas platforms, you know, electrify them and, and have them running from the offshore wind. But also it opens up new markets that have um, deeper coastlines. So, so previously they wouldn't have been able to have offshore wind because the technology meant that it was it wouldn't be able to be installed around their coastlines. But actually with floating offshore wind, it means that you can bring renewables to these new countries. So lots and lots of exciting things, lots and lots of growth ambitions and yeah, a really great industry to be in. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And also, you've mentioned a lot about how government policies have helped the industry and, and, you know, the growth that different companies have had. But we're actually recording this episode during COP26, although people will be listening to it a while later. But in that vein, apart from, you know, government responsibility and, and, you know, corporate responsibility, I think we can all agree that we all kind of have a collective responsibility for the future of the planet. So in your opinion, what do you think each of us can do to help tackle climate change? On a personal level, um, I think, you know, I think we have options as citizens and as consumers. That's where our choices kind of lie, you know. So we can choose to work in an industry that's, that's you know, tackling climate change, but also in our day-to-day choices and our day-to-day lives, then we can make those choices that, that are better for the planet, you know. So I, I only use kind of plant-based cleaning products and things like that. You know, I'll always try and... Um, take the train I'll never fly you know within the UK and I've set myself these little things that I do myself and I think collectively we can we can all make those little efforts but then as citizens I think then we also have this responsibility and that's to learn the facts that's to be engaged within it and that's to understand where as citizens we can put pressure on to to make the right choices you know both at a political level and at an industry level as well. Definitely. I think it definitely does lie within choices that you make as an individual, as part of a community. But going back to your personal choice in your career, I mean, I agree. I personally feel that communication is a key aspect of achieving common goals. I studied communication and media, so it's also something that I'm really passionate about. But I wanted to ask you how you use, you know, your communication skills to spread the word about energy transition, because a little birdie told me that you'd not only do this as your job, but pretty much all the time. And I think it'd be a shame for our listeners not to know how you promoted WinTech at a festival here in the UK. Yeah, so I'll, um, I mean, I'll take a step back. So obviously communicating about offshore wind, that is, that's my job at the minute, at the time of recording. And, and you know, and as I said, I, you know, I live and breathe it. I'm, I'm, I'm a massive geek, so I love learning. And then I love telling people what I learn. So, you know, it started really, you know, I tell taxi drivers, did you know one rotation can, can power a home for over two days? And then... You know, about a year ago, I started doing um, Christmas cards with uh, that were related to offshore wind on, and, in, and inside I'd put one rotation can power home for, for over two days. And um, and then, and I kind of like this kind of guerrilla marketing, you know, trying to be, I'm quite a creative person anyway, so I guess I tried to kind of pull that in. And, and over lockdown last year, and I think this is what you're referring to, so over lockdown last year, I started a project called Killer Jewels because I was very bored and trapped inside like the rest of us. And um, and so that was basically bringing together my passion for music and, and my passion for offshore wind. And so I did a number of um, offshore wind covers. So the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, sharing the link to uh, Will Smith. Um, but there's a, there's a few other covers as well on my on my YouTube channel. But even down to, and I've got them on today because we were recording this, but I've got these uh, little wind turbine earrings that even move. Um, so my friend made me these but again it's just you know it's it's trying to think how can we engage people in it because for a lot of people energy is quite boring but actually there's loads and loads of really exciting things happening in our industry you know and to say that the UK is a global leader 
in a renewable technology you know people should know that and not a lot of people do so I think by doing things like this you know the idea with these was that people would ask about them and then you can get into a conversation and and I, I really like that that element of yeah trying to think a bit creatively about how we can engage so to explain your comment about the festival as well um, so earlier this year I went to um, end of the road festival and I, I dressed up as a wind turbine <laughs> but again that was again so that I could engage with people and it had a much much wider impact than what I thought it would have it kind of it was it was really well accepted there to the extent that I'd gone up to one uh, one lady just to say oh you know can I tell you a fact about wind energy and she said, oh, actually, I think I already know it because you bumped into my friend yesterday and they told me. And I was like, yes, that is all that I wanted to achieve is that this little factor is getting spread around. So I think, yeah, I think if we want to engage people, then we need to start thinking a bit more creatively about it. And, and it's not just, um, you know, it's not just so that we can spread facts. It's so that we can attract people to the industry as much as anything, you know, so that people understand the, the scope and the breadth and the, the growth potential of this industry and, and get engaged and interested in it. That's awesome. And also, I think we were going to put you on the spot and ask you for a wrap, but I feel too mean, so we're not going to. But for our listeners, wherever we're um, publicising this, we will put the link to your YouTube channel so people can go and have a listen because you gave us um, a real giggle, but also it's got some great facts in there. Um, so yeah, well, well worth the listen. And also, we will uh, certainly do our best to share a picture of you dressed up as the wind turbine as well, because no one should miss that either. <laughs> Thank you. My dad was like, what did your friends go as? I was like, nothing. It was just me dressing up. And he was like, did anyone pay you? I was like, no, I just love it that much. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Also, I want to go back to something that Jen mentioned earlier um, and that you touched on briefly, which is the importance of having women in the sector. Um, which is a topic that we've discussed at length before, something that I'm really passionate about. And it's also just more broadly needing representation for all walks of life in the sector, not specifically women. But talking about balanced representation and gender representation in the sector, what it would mean for the future of energy and then the future of the planet. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, really. So the energy industry has traditionally been very male dominated, um, but we are working really hard to try and change that. And, and I think... No one will argue that we still have a long way to go within that, but there there is a lot of work going on to try and improve diversity across all sides, not just gender diversity. So Offshore Wind, for example, has 18% women in 2020. Uh, as part of this sector deal, they've set a target to have 33% women by 2030 with an ambition for 40%. Now, that's still not even 50%, but it's great to see those kinds of targets in place. And I think some of the things that we can do to try and encourage other women into the sector are to share these amazing jobs that are there, you know, to promote role models within industry. Role models are so important because people need to see themselves in these senior roles. You know, if I look up and all I can see is white senior males, then I'm probably not going to think that that's a role that I can do myself. But if we can promote these, you know, engaging role models, and, and as I said, it's not just women, it's, it's diversity of all kinds so that people can see themselves in these roles, but also the breadth of roles available. You know, it's not just about being a wind turbine technician, you know, okay. Some, the way that the wind, wind industry works now, most mostly people will go offshore for two weeks and then come back for two weeks if you're working offshore. You know, that may not fit with some women's patterns, you know, if they've got kids and things like that, but there are so many other jobs that you can get involved in. It's not just about being a technician, you know, there's lots of office-based jobs, there's lots of construction jobs, you know, onshore as well. So I think role models is, is a big way. I think setting these targets is important to show that the industry is serious about it as well. 
Um, a lot of companies now they they'll refuse to take part in a panel unless it's you know unless it's a, a diverse range on a panel, and I think that's something that people can do. And you know, and companies setting themselves targets. You know, Energy UK have set a target so that they don't have any all white panels either, and that's that's really important. And I think uh, yeah, so there's 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 lots of work happening, but there is still a long way to go. And I think it's it's very important to have women in the sector because you need that diversity of thought, right? If you have a, a homogeneous group making decisions, then everybody's going to think the same. And and we we have to innovate. You know, we have a big big task ahead of us if we're going to get to net zero by 2050. So we need all these bright creative minds, and it's it's about being innovative. And there you need diversity of mind to be able to do that. And also because these jobs are really cool. So women should know about them so that they get a chance to be in them too. I couldn't agree more. Actually, Marta and I both went to an event together yesterday uh, and it wasn't offshore wind, have to confess. It was a hydrogen event at the Science Museum, which as massive geeks, science geeks, we loved. Uh, However, we were on our way up to a panel event, which I must say, actually, the moderator was female and brilliant. Um, And it was a three person panel of which one of whom was a woman. And it was a brilliant panel. In the lift on the way up to this uh, this speech, we were two of, I want to say, around 20 people in a lift, and we were the only females in this lift. So I guess it, it showed both things. It showed that we're not there. Um, there's a huge way to go. But from an event perspective um, and creating these role models, the industry is pushing. So they are showing these brilliant, successful women in the sector with a view to to getting their name out there and getting their profile out there and showing that they can do it. But the audience, I think, you know, was a true reflection of where we are and how much we need to push that. And I think we all need to take this responsibility to make sure that we're showing, you know, there are fantastic opportunities out there, whether that is on an oil rig, perhaps not, whether it's on a, um, a construction site. I hope so, because that's changing, but also just showing that you know, you can make a huge impact to a sector by recruiting into it, by communicating what's happening in it. It doesn't have to be a specific tech role or a specific engineering role, although I would strongly advocate more females to go and study engineering because it gives you that grounding, whether you decide to stay on and um, continue a career as an engineer or like yourself, take that knowledge and that insight that you've got and use it in a different way. Absolutely. And and although I don't use the kind of math side of my engineering, that, that problem solving approach to things I've certainly taken on within within my role going forward. And and also coming back to what you were saying about, you know, the audience, I, I've certainly seen a change in the time that I've been in the industry. You know, there, there has been a change. And as you say, very noticeable on, on the panels and the people that are speaking there. And Renewable UK have this thing called a switch list which is really cool. So women can sign up so that it's it's basically for women and, and I think I think all forms of diversity really to sign up so that so that people can go to this list if they need people on a panel and see who the experts are from from maybe not the selection that they would normally go to automatically. So I think initiatives like that are really, really important to make sure that we have a good representation of, of people across the industry. And actually, I think um, next week, which will be three weeks prior to when this um, actually goes out, There's a really interesting panel event, which I will also try and share the link to with this, which is the future of women in energy. And exactly as you were saying around um, the goals and how if we don't have diversity of thought and we don't have a true representation of all of the people that are consuming energy, we'll never get there. So we need to have that mix. 
And I think it's going to be a great panel. I was actually fortunate enough to be asked to be on the panel, but unfortunately can't make it. But um, there's some fantastic people talking and I think there'll be some really, really interesting topics that come out of that. So I shall try to share that link with this um, with this episode. Also, Julia, something that I was really curious about is obviously you mentioned that you're really passionate about, you know, offshore wind tech, but more widely about, you know, energy transition and things like that. I think personally, it's really exciting to be part of a movement that is making such a positive impact on the planet. And also, it's just something that I think really helps attract new people into the industry, whether it's, you know, people that are just starting at university, people halfway through their career. I think it's a really good selling point. But how does it feel for you personally to be part of a movement that's making such a positive impact in the planet now and also for future in the years to come? Really great question. Um, it is such an exciting time to be in energy. So exciting. You know, what the, the changes and the transformation that the energy industry is going to have to go through under the next, you know, over the next decade even is is transformational and that's why we need all these bright and innovative minds to to join us in this in this challenge if you look at offshore wind alone and this is well i guess more jobs but they there's 26,000 people working in offshore wind at the minute in the next five years we're going to need over 69,000 people so there's this huge growth potential so there's lots and lots of exciting opportunities through that but also i think now and probably especially after covid i think a lot of people are looking for a job with purpose and I think that's what the energy industry offers. It offers, you know, as you said, it's quite nice wording, actually, you know, part of a movement. And it, it really is about that. It's about, you know, working together to make real positive change. And, you know, and there are challenges along the way, like for sure there are challenges along the way. And, and, and the energy industry has to solve those, you know, with offshore wind, as I said, for example, to go from 10 gigawatts to 40 gigawatts, you know, what is that build out going to look like? How do we make sure that we do it sustainably? You know, those kinds of questions do require innovative minds to solve so yeah there's loads and loads of opportunities for long-term careers but also i think if you're looking for a career with purpose then the energy industry as a whole is it's great to join and and it's not really just about looking to the renewables because oil and gas is going to have to get there too you know if if we are really going to reach net zero we need to decarbonize oil and gas and we need to get you know bright minds in those areas too so really i think it's about all jobs across all of the energy industry and people who really want to make a difference but that's why it's such a pleasure working here because you know you meet people who are really really passionate about what they do and and it's always nice when you work along you know like-minded people that really care about what they're doing yeah, actually, I think that really resonates with, with myself and Jen and also, you know, the, the wider mission that, that Brightsmith has because our tagline is live your purpose. And I think, you know, it's it's very much, much more rewarding to, to have a career where you feel like you're fulfilling the purpose that you have and that you feel inspired. Um, but I was also curious, you've mentioned, you know, the transition you had from an engineering background into a communications role. But who or what has inspired you to, you know, take that path? Hard question, that one. So I think initially... I had really, really good managers at EDF Energy. Like I said, they they took a chance on me when I knew nothing. Well, I'd done the six months in media, but they, you know, they gave me a role and basically taught me everything that I know on the job. And and I remember having this conversation with with the lady that was hiring, who then became my manager, and I, and I wasn't going to apply. And again, at that point, it was you know it was a toss up between that and an analytical role. And I was really into my. I think the media role was less money as well. And I was like, oh, what should I do? I think I'll enjoy this one more, but this one's probably better for my long term career. You know, I didn't want to waste my degree and all of this stuff. And but I just remember her saying to me, you know, if you you've got energy, intelligence and enthusiasm and that's all we need and we can work with the rest. And I think 
that was really inspiring to me. And that's something that I've always tried to take on when I've been hiring people, you know, is not necessarily to look at what experience they have, what qualifications they have, because it's more really about, you know, how are they going to work in the role? And if they're enthusiastic about it, then they're going to always do the best job that they can. So I think that certainly inspired me to sort of get into, into media. And then I'm really lucky. I've had loads of brilliant female role models across industry. So some are more in tech roles. So I've mentioned actually to you guys before, Bridget Hartland Johnson. She's one of my biggest inspirations. I think she's um, she's just really cool. She's so clever. She works in battery storage, but she's um, she does she does a lot for younger women in the industry and sort of she's taken a lot of us kind of under her wing and there's a little gaggle of us that kind of follow her around and really look up to her and she's you know she's always you know she's always got our backs but she's as I said she's really clever as well and it's it's really inspirational to see somebody that's that down to earth but that's so clever as well and such a geek but actually you know can just explain it in a really normal way and yeah so she's been a big inspiration to me as well. I'm thinking I guess you were just doing some reflecting there but going back through your career as an entirety are there any um real kind of peak moments any real highlights other than the um wind turbine at the festival which honestly i just (laughs) yes one of my biggest career highlights um was at Orsted when I was able to take a a BBC film crew offshore so I worked on this half an hour program um called Powering Britain and they went around various different technologies but as part of that I was able to go offshore and stay at the world's biggest offshore wind farm at the time Hornsey One so I got to stay 120 kilometres offshore on a jack-up vessel. So jack-up vessels are they're boats that kind of sail along and then they put the legs down on the seabed and then they jack themselves up so that it's really stable. So I got to stay on one of those and then I got to go up to the top of a turbine. It was really cool. But that it was I'm the sort of person where I really buzz off a challenge. And that was a very, very challenging project to work on. You know, I was trying to organise logistics for somewhere that I'd never been before, you know, working out how we're going to get from the turbine to this boat to this boat you know and so many different stakeholders involved plus all the media training for all the people you know and making sure that everybody knew what was happening plus all the safety elements so it was a real challenging but so I I really really enjoyed it I got a lot out of that experience really really rewarding and then obviously you know lots of pride when I got to watch it at the end but again there was lots of training that I had to do for that and that was you know the training in itself was super exciting for somebody like me who's you know who doesn't get to go offshore that much but it's probably a pain in the bum for all the people that have to do it every two years but (laughs) but the the training to go offshore it's 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 very intense because you know the industry has very very high and strict safety standards so you have to refresh every two years and it's everything from sea survival you know where you're in a pool and the lights are out and there's flashing lightning noises to I had to do a helicopter underwater training where you get dunked in a pool in a helicopter turned upside down you've got to get out through the window you know all this sort of stuff so that was just you know for a comms person to have those kinds of experiences it was um yeah it was really really amazing but I think you know working in comms it's the the challenges the crises are as much you know a, a rewarding experience as the actual positive things that you get to do because actually when you can weather a crisis and you know and you're protecting the company that you work for and you know and you're right in there in the middle of some kind of emergency then you know I, I guess I'm maybe an adrenaline junkie but you know you get you get that buzz from that as well so I think I've been really lucky in my career that it's it's spanned you know some really high profile nice pieces like the BBC stuff but then you know we've also done stuff with Newsround or with Fully Charged or you know it's had a nice range of the two and then you know serious things like emergency exercises in the nuclear industry you know they again nuclear industry of course safety is you know it's the top top priority so they train a lot you know they have these nuclear exercises where they play out that there's a nuclear 
emergency, you know, in real time, you've got hundreds of people playing, you know, and they're, they're a, a great experience to take part on, you know, hopefully we'll never have to have a real one, but it's, you know, that training is so important as well. So yeah, loads of highlights. So one of the, um, one of the funniest days that I had, because one of the things about the job is you never know, you really never know what it's going to be when you get into the office. Well, hopefully most days you try and have stick to the plan, but because of comms is, it can be quite reactive. You know, something can come in from any point at any time and you know, I'd gone in and then all of a sudden there was this story about bird poo on transition pieces. And then you know, I had to become an expert in guano in a day, you know, I've never even heard the word guano before, but that is what I love about the job is that you're constantly learning that, you know, there may be something that you literally knew nothing about the day before. And within a day you're speaking to experts, trying to get as much information from them as possible so that they and you can brief other people so yeah it's a great job for people that like to learn amazing and I was going to ask you about challenges but actually you kind of did the perfect thing there of talking about how the challenges were probably the highlights of your career because I think a lot of people have this where you know the easy stuff doesn't really stand out it's the things that you didn't think you could do and then you found a way to achieve that really do stand out in the end and they give you the, the greatest reward and I think that kind of links back to what we were saying about not needing to have studied or, you know, been a real expert in what you start in. It's the challenges along the way that really kind of make you who you are. Absolutely. And it's, it's how you handle them. You know, I remember having this media moment and there was there was a girl in my team, bless her. So in, in comms, you have to go on, on call quite often to, to um, handle out of hours incidents. And there was a girl in my team and it was her first ever night on call because we'd swapped a shift because I was going out and I was, you know, and I was on the train going to Bristol to see my friends. And she called me at half six and said that something had happened. And I was like, mm, OK, I was like, I'm not sure that's a big issue, but just, you know, call this guy and check. And in the time when she was calling the project director, you know, I had all the media kind of calling me and all of a sudden it became this big media storm. It was it was actually about a power cut um, a couple of years back. And that was one of the most challenging things that I'd ever had to deal with, you know, and I had my, my team member remotely, you know, I was on a train, you know, you're there kind of tethering outside the train station, trying to sort out all these things at once. And, you know, but I'll never forget that actually it was, you know, and I learned a lot and she learned a hell of a lot in that time because it was, you know, when you're thrown in at the deep end and all of a sudden you're briefing national journalists, you know, and you've never done that before, you have to. But I remember saying to her, and that, that was something that I was really proud of because I was a fairly new manager at the time. But I remember saying to her right before, you know, we split up the journalists to call them, you know, which ones we were going to call. And I, and I said, you know, no matter what you do, you, you can't say anything wrong. I was like, you know, this is on me. You know, we're working as a team together. You know, even if you say something that becomes a headline, you know, in the paper, you're, you're protected and it's fine. And I think it's really important to kind of give your team members that not protection necessarily, but enable them to operate in a way where they're not scared because it's when people have fear, that's when they're going to make mistakes. So I think that would be my top tip for a crisis for anybody is just to try and reassure the team that you are a team and that you're working together because it's it's that fear of, oh God, I'm going to do something wrong that then makes people make mistakes, I think. So yeah, I think that's really important in a crisis. Definitely. I, I completely agree. And also, I think it's just so inspiring to hear you talk about your career and even the challenges as something that you're so passionate about and that you take on with, with such a good attitude. Um, so just thank you for being such a brilliant guest on, on the first episode I've co-hosted. I feel like I'm really lucky. But I did want to ask you one last question before you know we let you get back to telling the world about the wonders of offshore wind, which is absolutely necessary. I think you should never stop doing that. It's what's the one message you would like to leave with our listeners? You know, anything that you would like to tell them, especially considering that not everyone that listens to this is in clean tech or not everyone is the same age. 
um, anything that you would like to tell them? Oh, a tough one. Um, I would say, kind of what we were saying earlier, really, I think, do follow what you like to do, for sure. You know, that is the, that is the easiest way to become successful, is to do what you like. But also to be authentic as well. You know, I think that's something that's really important to me. And I think sometimes the way that I approach things is very much more in line with my personality than how things have been done before or, you know, what maybe the expected way of doing things is. But I think that's that's enabled me to to get to where I am today for sure. And it's and it just makes my working life a lot easier. You know, I am who I am at work as well as outside of work. So I would say I used to have a mentor and he used to say, be authentic. What did he say? He'd say, be authentic as much as you can <laughs> or something. I can't remember what it was. It was there. Uh, oh, I can't remember what the exact word was. That's going to really annoy me. But yeah, it was it was something like push the boundaries within reason. But, you know, I think it's, it's about being authentic and doing what you love. I'd say they're the two things sorry you only asked for one but i always like to appreciate it definitely no you can give one two thirty i mean i feel like we could talk for ages oh well uh, julia thank you so much um and i echo that be your authentic self it doesn't matter if everybody else in your industry is a certain way if you're a different way be that different way and it will make you successful and it also will make you happy so yeah i think that's amazing so thank you for sharing your story thank you for being authentic um, we promise to gather all of these bits and pieces that we've talked about through the show and share them with the listeners. Um, and we wish you every success in your mission to uh, to spread the word of Offshore Wind. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Um, no, it, was, it was a real pleasure to speak with you. And my new job will be about the wider energy system. So you never know, we may get some Killer Jewels tracks about different, different forms of energy as well. Who knows? But thank you again. <laughs> Thanks, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Conversations in Clean Tech, brought to you by Brightsmith. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on Brightsmith and how we can help you to build a sustainable future through identifying, attracting, and retaining diverse talent, head over to brightsmith.com. Join us next time for more Conversations in Clean Tech.